You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Xander, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining us. Matt, it is a pleasure to be on here with you. As always, you are an all-star and a gem and a true pioneer in our space. Well, trying to be, and you, you are you are yourself, my friend. So full disclosure for everyone listening to this podcast, Andrew and I go way back. Uh, we worked together at BTS. Uh, he's now at Metaprop, who is an uh, investor, early stage and occupier um, in our, both our uh, seed and A round. So pumped to have them on our side and appreciative of all their support. But Xander has a very unique role within Metaprop, um, and we'll get to that in a sec. Um, but Xander, why don't you introduce yourself to the, to the uh, listeners here? Tell us about yourself, your background, what you're doing now, how you got here. Give us the whole nine yards. Of course. <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to get nine and a half if we can. Um, so yeah, so good on the disclosure part. So for the listeners on right now, so Matt and I were early days at BTS and actually I worked as the strategic analyst um, on what we call our enterprise team. So covering the top 200 accounts in the uh, commercial real estate uh, market. And I spent a lot of time working hand in hand with Matt and that team of teeing up meetings and being right in front of these potential customers who would be ultimately all nowadays, as we look back, are rolling out enterprise wide. On, on BTS. So it's really good to see all that work uh, come to fruition. And um, on the other end, so for my side and my story, it's uh, it's pretty unique from the venture capital side and also the prop tech space. So originally I was a research analyst at an investment manager based out in Stanford, Connecticut. Um, it was a friend who launched his fund and I was going to be pulling in a lot of that fundamental data that was going to be driving uh, the the strategy for the fund. So not gas long short, but really was the the demand and supply driver was single family and multifamily um, uh, properties in Ohio River Valley, where the focus point was um, of uh, the energy usage. Then I realized that a lot of the information and data that we were using for underwriting models was either incomplete or incorrect. So I took a step back and granted very early in my job and I'm working, you know, fresh out of university and had some exposure to technology and data and real estate and had a, had a, a come to, come to, you know, come to Jesus moment with it, so you will, or come to PropTech um, in a, <laughs> um, a supermarket parking lot. I remember this very vividly thinking to myself, well, wouldn't it be interesting if there was a world where you get real time data and accurate information for real estate investment? Is that a thing? What does that look like? And at the time, called this is seven, eight years ago, there was no prop tech as a category or was not dubbed as such um, come around 2014, 2015. Actually, that is the inception of when Metaprop was founded in 2015. So right around the same time. Um, and then I was introduced through some networking uh, to my mentor at the time. His name's Bob White, who recently sold his platform our company, RCA, Real Capital Analytics, which is one of the first platforms to put cap rates and capital transactions for real estate online 
to track it in the same way that financial markets and public equities markets had that kind of transparency. Uh, Bob recently uh, sold his company to MSCI uh, for a, a nice, nice, a nice billion. So a great exit uh, for for Bob as being the godfather of real estate, real estate data. From the approach that he advised me was, you need to look more on the fundamental side. So what is not being captured and measured right now? And he introduced me to a startup called VTS, which was doing just that for the disjointed and fragmented market of commercial leasing and property management. In that world, and still to this day, uh, to some extent, uh, it's very paper-driven, Excel spreadsheets-driven, and um, ERP, so enterprise resource planning platforms from uh, the early 2000s that have dominated that space information-wise, but has led to many silos across that category. And that's what we, myself and Matt and the rest of our team, were looking to solve for. So I worked across that business from doing SDR work, business development and sales work, then created my own role and title. That's where I got to work with Matt as the strategic analyst. Always great when you get to create your own title. Um, and then I joined the solutions engineering team to really cut my teeth as being on the technical side of the business. So that would be covering anywhere from product engineering, implementation, deployment. And then at one point I was traveling three cities a week for about three and a half years, uh, which is quite a lot if you do the, uh, the math across yeah, you the- you Yeah, I got a lot of miles. I'm, I'm happy to give them up if, if anyone on uh, the podcast would like them. Um, and then I was able to join over the Metaprop team uh, in 2019 because as BTS went from startup to scale up, there's a certain evolution and a cycle of a company with those for a certain proclivity for working early stage and with founders and setting the playbooks and getting them proof of concepts in front of customers or their initial customers is really where I fit and found myself enjoying my time. As VTS went to scale up, I found that I was personally and professionally plateauing. Um, so I had the opportunity as the Metaprop team, which is the largest early stage uh, by volume of deals and portfolio, a venture capital firm in PropTech, they were building out a channel to cover what we dub as strategic partners, who are the ultimate customers of the companies we invest in. So you name owners, operators, developers, AEC companies, uh, material science, corporate occupiers, who just want to look around the corner and see what's coming next in the next five to 10 years, and want to have access to, to our portfolio companies, our network, our deal flow, and to build out their own sandbox for them to test and deploy and understand uh, what they can do to either future-proof themselves or evolve as their core business, uh, so <laughs> as their core business changes. So that's really where I spend my time. And you know, similar to BTS, they was able to create this own title, um, head of strategic partnerships, uh, but really living the business development side and capital formation for our funds in our market. We are now on our technically fifth fund. Uh, we have. Our, we're, we've invested out of three funds thus far. We're in our fourth flagship early stage, so pre-seed to Series A, and also have in market our growth fund, which is an extension strategy out of the first 175 companies that we've invested in, and also some companies that we have been tracking in market uh, that are hitting that maturation part point in their life cycle, despite some of the current fluctuations in the public equities markets, reaction to PropTech, we're at, call it a two to three laggard compared to where we're seeing the current public uh, PropTech companies. So we're trying to hit the right timing. Um, so that's a, a very much an open long-term 
strategy while also focusing on our bread and butter, which is early stage investing. Cool. A lot to unpack there, obviously, <laughs> but I think like anybody listening, if you're you know looking to get into prop tech or prop tech VC, whether you're working at a company that's building something or investing, like that's a pretty good roadmap and a really unique story for younger folks that are trying to get into the business. So appreciate that overview. Um, yeah. I mean, we worked together side by side at BTS for a long time, kind of in the early days of prop tech. Now we're at a point in this cycle of this corner of investing that everybody wants to know like how they get involved or like what's the benefit for me. So it sounds like if we focused in on kind of your role with uh, developing strategic partnerships, <clears throat> right? Cause it's not only are those LPs in your funds, but they're also just good partners in the ecosystem to help you kind of uh, evangelize uh, products uh, of your portfolio companies or others, and just generally kind of build kind of a little bit more momentum in the ecosystem. So when you were talking to um, a strategic partner, like what are the key kind of benefits that you guys bring to the table uh, on their behalf? And then like, what are the things that they should be thinking about as they kind of set up like this initiative internally to, to really not so much quote unquote invest dollars wise into prop tech, but just time and resources and, and understanding? Yeah, that's a really great question because that's just kind of the, the justification for pretty much the entire party that we're in right now. So like who's paying and who's, who's actually attending. Um, and if you think about it this way, it's the investments that which a lot of folks are making from either the, the, uh, the large institutional real estate players, to even some of the regional developers and owners operators, this is often a de minimis portion of their balance sheet capital to which they're investing. You know, they are putting and investing millions and millions of dollars into, um, you know, renovating the lobby, which would be the same equation. It would equate back to what they would invest in a prop tech uh, VC or even hiring some consultants. So we have to provide less so of a, uh, we have to obviously not lose their money, but we have we have our, our targets, which we are hitting. But that is a uh, a ten year investment, as you see five ten years of what uh, you get your venture returns on. So in the short term, we because we're dealing with a lot of cash flow based businesses, we need to prove out and drive uh, NOI uh, at the portfolio level. So each of the assets or at the uh, the core business. So NRI and ROI is what we need to do. And we do this in two main ways, though there is a third factor which I'll get into. The main one is we run a, uh, a heavy consulting practice called Innovation Services. So it's led by my partner, Maureen Waters, who's a former chief uh, strategic officer, marketing officer of Cushman Wakefield globally. She also ran Bill Gates's personal real estate portfolio and then recently sold 10X, who was the president of 10X, sold to CoStar, so, which was a, a very interesting and exciting exit for, for the space. Um, and is also on the board, full disclosure, of Occupier. Um, That's right. Yeah, so Maureen's practice, essentially for our partners, is to do a design thinking um, approach. So we come up with what is your <clears throat> five to 10 year goals and journey and where do you want to be as a real estate company? But also, what are the, and not to belabor this term, but here we go, what are the low-hanging fruit? So something that we can do immediately to alleviate pain or create new revenue, ch channels of revenue for your company. So this is where we will do full audit of your tech stack, and um, both internally and externally, because this is the nuances of real estate, a lot of relationships and other parties are involved. Uh, but we'll also yep. interview and uh, run surveys across your multiple verticals. 
So if you run a multifamily business, a multifamily assets, office, retail, self-storage, or you are also a vertically integrated, so you have a construction arm, uh, you even have your own subs and GCs. If you have a property management, facilities management, we will interview all of the, uh, the, the heads of those divisions and then run surveys up and down. So we do, the approach is not only design thinking, um, and it is also a top sound and grassroots uh, buy-in so that we can do a full cultural shift to becoming more uh, leaning towards digital innovation, whatever that really means, is just buying into using new technologies and new innovative ways of thinking. That's all we really try to do up front. And we try to find something immediately to alleviate pain. One of our partners um, in the midst of the pandemic was able to uh, achieve this because they had a large retail portfolio. And uh, when you have shopping centers in the pandemic, when no one's actually going to go there and you have the, uh, the, the imminent um, uh, shopping season or holiday season, we had to run a full process for installing a virtual queuing solution. Um, so virtual queuing is the ability to have on your phone what time you can get into a certain space. Um, so initially it was designed for uh, elevators. So people could get into an elevator and know they weren't going to be surrounded. This is really COVID driven by two or three yeah, others. By other people. Yeah. yeah. And it's a pretty interesting use case of when you have an office technology that gets retrofitted and applied in a wider scale for retail. People wanted to shop and they wanted to get the cashier, but they also knew they had to maintain distance and you could only allow, um, say, what was it, 10, 15 people at a time in, in, in your average shop, um, depending on the square footage. So people, instead of waiting out line, would just get a message on their phone. So we had to run a, we did a full market scan with this partner. We then had 90 days, I think across 16 centers in North America. And we both partnered with the occupier, so the retailer, the property management team, which was not integrated into the owner and the asset management teams. Um, so we did a beta test of two um, and then rolled that out right the days before the Thanksgiving uh, holiday uh, in the States. So that was a pretty, uh, it's, it's a pretty specific example of how we drive value outside of just giving you deal flow. We will get hands-on asset level and partner truly in your core business to open up channels of revenue or at least alleviate a pain so that you can retain your tenants and expand and even expand your brand that you are uh, forward thinking. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, when you think about the, the value add services that a typical VC firm kind of advertises, it's usually towards their portfolio companies, right? Like we have this labs version of uh, <clears throat> version of our VC firm that's going to help you go to market, help you develop products, help you hire, help you you know, do whatever you need to do to operate your business. But it's pretty unique that you're actually the inverse of that as well, which is you're giving us money to help invest in companies that'll produce a return for you. And we're also going to provide you with this service of essentially consulting and, and helping, helping your business. I think that's pretty cool because in, in our experience, I think you could attest to this as well as, you know, as, at BTS and at Occupier, a lot of times the, the customer doesn't really even know what they really need to solve. Like, like you said, low hanging fruit. Yeah, that's a belabored term, but you know, most companies, when you get into the sales cycle with them, it's either, it's very clear early on that they know that there's this pain that they need to solve and they're going to find a solution for it and there's budget and they're going to buy something. But a lot of the times 
they're just kind of dipping their toes in the market for a number of different things as a salesperson or somebody trying to implement a product it's hard a lot of times to tell if it's a real pain point or if it's something that they've kind of like budgeted for and are ready to invest in and maybe they'll go hire an external consultant to help them with that but you guys are unique because you're focusing that consulting kind of practice at a very specific vertical like within the real estate industry which i think is like a a major a major need in the space so for this retail uh portfolio okay, you got that immediate pain point out of the way, right? Like they were able to get through the shopping season. Hopefully COVID has turned to the point where they don't have to worry about virtual queuing as much. And then, then what's the next move? Is it like, let's continue down kind of the stack of problems across either the portfolio or your different operating, like the businesses, whether it's property management, acquisitions, asset management, is it, I guess the question is like, how many boxes are these companies usually looking for you to kind of check off in terms of problems that they need to solve? Yeah. So the lists get pretty extensive, um, but it's also a, a, a point of sobriety as well. Um, and that's to say like, you have a Musa cookie or maybe it's mouse. I, I had the moose cookie book, I believe. Um, but it's saying, okay, cool. We solved this problem, but now let's, uh, let's go down the rest of your list. I don't think it's, it's good to do it, it always in that manner because everybody, it's very bespoke to what is the challenges at the given time. Though a lot of times the themes are overlapping where a lot of folks are looking for you know, solving for ESG requirements. Um, that's major theme, but also to your earlier statement of a lot of folks don't actually know what they're looking for. They actually don't know how to define a lot of what that means. Um, they have a goal that they have to set, but they're not actually sure what their footprint is. Um, so often is now taking a step back is, okay, can we just create what your guidelines will be and what you think your standard is going to be? Because there is no necessarily market standard. There's companies like Scalar and Measurable that are coming out with that. Gobi had worked on that for in the past. Um, S&P, uh, so Capital Q, S&P is working on that as well. Um, really, this is, there are major themes and challenges that people are, are facing. Um, a lot of folks want to create uh, innovation centers now at, uh, at their corporate uh, HQ to showcase a lot of that work and also to um, attract and retain a lot of their talent. Um, that's become a major point. It's almost also a driving factor of why PropTech. It's not only is it helping you know, um, you know, improve the bottom line, increase transparency, which won't get realized later on, now it's becoming a, a, a marketing aspect for um, like a recruiting attracting, tool, right? Yeah. It, oh, absolutely. Like we're basically sometimes I feel like making brochures for recruiting and going around. Like I, I'm like one step away from going to a university and advertising for how forward thinking um, uh, this particular company is. And actually, I did that two weeks ago. But there's so many segmented problems, and this is also applies. Um, it's pretty fascinating as you look in emerging markets to the similar problem sets uh, that are happening in, say, Latin America, where it's you know, very difficult to get mortgage financing. And so we invested in one company in, in Colombia. We're about to announce another company in Mexico City. Uh, we're looking at solving for title and retail data in Indonesia, similar aspects uh, on the data and financing side, which are sometimes argued as almost very fintech plays. but we are just looking to what happened in fintech and then we're applying that to uh, the real estate space holistically. And we're doing similar in sub-Saharan Africa. We did two investments in Nigeria. 
Uh, we're looking at opportunities in Kenya and South Africa. Um, and this both goes to what is what we call the, uh, the partner and portfolio company, pull and push. So which one goes first? Is it someone yeah. we find a partner on the ground who really wants to be that first mover and embrace uh, any company that is, a, a, that is around and can attract it or can import companies from North America, which is typically more mature from a scalability perspective, or do they want to replicate that on the ground and create a innovation hub um, in their markets? So this is the kind of wide variety that we're looking at. And it is an evolving stage. Almost every other every quarter, it's new major themes um, that we're trying to push the boundaries on with our partners and our investments team. Okay, cool. So let's put the portfolio company hat on for a second. And given everything you've just described about what uh, the end users are looking for in terms of innovation and solving problems, if you're a portfolio company in an early stage Metaprop fund, like how do you become a market leader? Like how do you position yourself to like win your category uh, in this like super complicated space where there's millions of problems to solve and you also need to make sure that your business doesn't run out of money and keep scaling? Like how do you position yourself? Yeah, so so it also, de it, it depends first off on the company type. <clears throat> so whether we're talking SaaS, IoT, hardware, or say some sort of tech enabled service, um, but lately, which is pretty interesting from the amount of capital that's imported to early stage, you have pretty sizable runways and also some good testing partners. So like earlier at VTS, it would have been a miracle if we had folks that were willing to give us X amount of, say, like 18 months of runway and say, just like, we'll build the product with you and you have our full leasing yeah. teams buy in. Don't worry about it. That's the state now. Before, uh, I mean, I tell the stories almost like war stories of how we were able to get into certain accounts and how we were able to get a buy-in from the asset manager in one region that then led to another one that eventually got us back to corporate. I know Matt is just like shivers down yeah. the spine. <laughs> yeah. The hair on my neck is standing up at remembering some of those conversations. Yeah. So luckily this is the funniest thing. Cause I, I, I like to keep a, a long history and, you know, watching and evolving our network. A lot of the folks that actually tested out honest buildings and VTS and um, you know, either some of, some of the earlier uh, companies we got to work with, those asset managers have now become on the innovation teams. They've evolved their roles and title because they were the first ones to really pick and back the a winner. Early movers. Yeah, the early yeah. mover folks, which is now also they're launching PropTech funds, which is great. Uh, but some of those folks are allowing these early stage companies just the immediate sandbox. And what we advocate first is, okay, just perfect. Sometimes it's perfect the product, like get the product going, make that work, work with ten, five partners and you're solving for one specific pain, pain point. And that their sandbox alone will get you to, um, to become, you know, at least not necessarily a market leader, but a breakout company. And you may, your distribution, because you have that advocacy from those three to five leaders, and you have such an in-depth knowledge of what they're solving for with the pain point and what the customer is, we can get you to the next level, but focus on those ones first. And sometimes that's on the um, more cutting edge technology that could be robotics, that could be um, uh, a lot of IOT plays. So sometimes you really gotta be very careful because there's a lot of access control implications. Mm -hmm. um, on the SaaS side, this is where it gets a little different. And I encourage a couple of different 
ways of your go-to-market strategy. And it's sometimes really about knowing the real estate capital stack and the interplay of everyone's roles you know, from boardroom to boiler room is the easy way to describe it. So just know who the property managers are, what exactly a property manager does, what the facilities manager does, what the brokers, uh, so whether agency, with tenant reps, what a corporate, what the corporate occupiers are thinking about, then every other vendor that might interplay and is also taking away mind share and time from the ultimate decision maker. But who also is that decision maker? Are we talking architects, uh, designers? Are we talking asset managers, investment managers? And then are we going all the way up to um, the LPGP scenario? So is it a firm like, for instance, like a Norgis that is partnering with a Tishman that then uses JLL for uh, its property management that also has Heinz doing facilities. If you remember all of these interplays, then you've just got to pick out what prong and who is going to be your channel partner at a given property. And what does that look like from a the wider network? So also keeping in mind the greater JV aspect and capital interplay of, of the greater real estate market. And this applies across asset types. It's becoming further, far more institutionalized across certain segments, whether that's storage, self-storage, um, cold, cold storage, last mile uh, industrial, single family. It's kind of the, the, those ones were more fragmented, but now I've seen they're the hottest ones to play in. So if you keep all of those things in mind, especially with, with, uh, with SaaS and also partnerships are massive. So whether working with like an MRI or a Yardi, getting those integrations or at least your API up to suit so you can integrate in the background. Back end, luckily, a lot of the work also that Matt and our team did was convincing those major incumbents that they should play nice with others to knowing where you fit, I guess, is the other really big point. So not only how the world works and who you need to call and convince at any given moment, but how the ecosystem of PropTech exists. This is something that a lot of folks have trouble t- trouble building out first because they're like, oh, no, we're like we're solving for six different things or like we're going to be the center of the flywheel it's like okay just we're all trying to figure out what everything fits at any given moment i have 50 different tabs i got a thousand different applications at at any given moment um people just need to know when they go to see your pitch deck not a pitch deck for raising funds but from a sales deck where do you look like alongside all the other platforms that i might be testing or i might have heard of and what does this do in terms of alleviating pain or creating value? Uh, but how do I easily plug you in if you do fit in my greater tech stack? Now, that's a, a very uh, sobering moment for a lot of startups who think that they are just the, the main piece of the entire puzzle, possibly of the workflow. But you have to also convince so many other players to know so it's not going to disrupt what they're advocating for at the same time because there's now over – Sometimes the record goes from 7,000 to 10,000 active prop tech companies uh, globally. Um, so you definitely have to know where, you, uh, where you're where you positioning yourself. Yeah, I think uh, you could boil that all down into like one word, which is focus, right? Like yeah. understand the landscape and what you're playing. Realize that you can't solve every problem for everybody. And then, you know, focus your go-to-market on on solving a pain point for a specific user and then kind of build from there uh, rather than, yeah, trying to be the centerpiece of everything, especially since what you just described, which is almost a mind-numbing um, world of uh, end users, uh, stakeholders, and problems to be solved. So, 
totally agree with that. Um, so come, come into my mind scenario yeah. we just described. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, we've got a, we a little bit of time left. Give us some hot takes on the future, the near-term future of, of the prop tech space. Like what's, What's hot right now? Are we are we all moving to the metaverse? Are we uh, is is it sustainability? Like, give us kind of like the main hot focus area for you guys right now. Yeah, the, uh, the metaverse is a, it's quite funny because even within our own shop, we're kind of split in half of who is on the Web three side and who is uh, more bricks and sticks. Um, we are thinking from an investment perspective of looking for anything that's the picks and shovels for the metaverse, um, though. I do love to, to lean on that word fidgetal. So the physical and digital environment blending is one. Fidgetal. <clears throat> Whatever that might be, if this is augmented reality, if it's something that uh, allowing us to interconnect between offices. Um, I know Microsoft rolled out a product or is testing out a product, which is pretty awesome, that allows you to in real time. So say you're sitting in, um, in, in Tokyo and I'm sitting in Boston. I could speak English and they hear Japanese and they speak Japanese, you can hear English, it's automatically translated, and also you are looking right at them. Similar to, yeah, there's a there's been a couple movies, uh, one Sylvester Stallone movie in particular that created that scenario. We're just trying to recreate that, uh, but, but some of the larger players are rolling things out like that. That's what I would suppose, but it's still very, I'm trying to still solve more brick and mortar problems because there's just so many that we need to work on. Um, so kind of the, the future or where we're at right now, which is pretty exciting. A lot of the folks are embracing uh, bio cement and biomaterials, um, though it is rather nascent and it's commercialization. It's now for a lot of new build and retrofitting. Um, these are bio-based, so a lot of algae-based um, construction materials that also can breathe in CO2 and other noxious gases that it naturally exudes in, exudes in, the, in the build and throughout the life cycle of the asset, which can create a net negative if you look at it from a CO2 impact uh, category. Um, that is starting to be rolled out a lot more. Um, and on the flip side, for more of efficiencies gain, it's more the rise of robotics. So on-site robotic cutting platforms. Uh, we're in one company that does um, uh, robotics painting. Uh, it's called PaintJet, based out of Chattanooga. Uh, we're also in a 3D printing company out of Chattanooga that does edifices and infrastructure, 3D printing, those are starting to see a lot heavier traction. And then I think back to the ESG question, the sustainability, or at least the E and maybe S, um, sometimes the G, um, those are just rolling out reporting platforms. It's, it's great to have a lot of fervor, as we probably all heard around people saying, we're going to do X amount in ESG. What that then creates, if you have such a uh, concentration of voices and capital, then that creates a lot of competition for, okay, what is the standard? Similar to a lot of times in sports, we have like NFL, AFL, then all of a sudden, okay, we got to create what is the single league and what are we going to, what are the rules to the game? There are no rules right yeah, now. Standard language. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's coming together. That's pretty, that's exciting. And then I think another one that I, I get into a lot of conversations lately, which is new and this is not Occupy commercial, but maybe it is, um, the shift in the awareness of corporate occupiers and corporate users of real estate and physical space, whether that's um, their warehousing um, and their infill design models or their last mile retail, whatever we really want to call it, there is now much more of a deeper awareness of their place and their use of real estate. So now they're turning into the prop tech world to 
what can we install to and what can we use uh, and be less reliant on the outdated systems that we had built out in the early 2000s, we need to also embrace what our owners have done. So that, that's, that's been a very recent um, and, and evolving conversation. A lot going on. I see, th- we see 200 companies a month. It's, uh, we have to see, we, last year we wrote, underwrote or filtered through 2,000 new prop tech companies. That's nuts. That's crazy. <laughs> that's a lot. 200 a month. Yeah, that's a lot. Cool. All right, we got a couple minutes left. Let's do the uh, rapid fire questions here, Xander. <laughs> you get a minute to answer. People usually don't take the whole minute. Okay. Um, we get, we'll accept one word answers as well. But uh, question number one. What is your favorite drink? Doesn't have to be alcoholic, but what's your favorite drink? Yeah, favorite drink. It's a Gibson. If it was something, uh, you know, first date scenario. Um, and if not, then I'll go with Arnold Palmer. It is also quite delicious nice. and refreshing. Refreshing. Very refreshing. <laughs> um, describe what a Gibson is, because I don't think a lot of people know. Okay. Uh, Gibson is a slightly dirty martini, typically made with gin. I have it with kettle, uh, so on the vodka side. And with a cocktail onion, so it gives it more of a like a sour tang um, than usually the uh, the sweet aspect from olives, which is ironic as nice. being a Greek that I prefer the onion in my drink versus the olive. But I'll still get a, say I'll get a mess of olives on the side. That's still happening. I thought you were just going to say I like to drink olive oil, but um... it's in my hair. It's like light flecks of olive oil. <laughs> I have one in mind already, uh, but question number two is like, do you have any nicknames? Um, I mean, first is every iteration of Z um, that has ever happened. So Z-Man to Z-Baby. Um, but also lately, and this is just the internal name at, at Metaprop, is the Unstoppable Force. Um, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> basically means if there's somebody on my target list, we're going to get in front of them, which I think Matt would agree. I can attest to that. <laughs> I was going to go with the Greek freak, uh, given Giannis and, and, oh, yeah. and being in the spotlight these days. Like he's... You're the original Greek freak in my mind. Yeah, the Greek freak of PropTech. <laughs> That's right. Uh, what was your last Halloween costume? Question number three. So this one's also kind of timely. Um, and uh, I think I did the Halloween last year, but the one year before, I was uh, Hunter S. Thompson um, from Fear and Loathing, uh, which is, you know, it's great in the news. Giant dips in the news. But uh, yeah, it was uh, in, in LA yeah. in, that, in that, that, that classic outfit. Fit right in. Um, <laughs> All right, question number four. Do you have any hidden talents that we should know about? This one is actually one that I discovered in middle school. And it was the ability to, you know, like when you make a snap. So I could do that on mm-hmm. any, sur- any, any surface. So like I could do it here. I could just sort of make that sound um, as you go by. What I should learn when I was giving people uh, daps that I could snap their fingers. And they thought it was the most entertaining thing. Um, so I guess that's my, my hidden talent. <laughs> well, maybe that's like uh, very useful in like the post-COVID world where people are freaked out from, about shaking hands and everything. You can just give them a quick snap. Oh, I've gone right in for the hugs, but yeah, we, 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 we can edit that out. <laughs> All right, cool. Our last question, this is a uh, common theme, is like who should we have on the next show? Um, give I was, me two guest names. Yeah, I was tired between this, um, and I, and I want to make sure that they haven't already been on. Um, but I recently got on the phone and previously had dinner with um, Tiffany Meisen from IBM. Okay. Um, okay. She's based in Armonk and runs their East, all their East real estate. So I think it was like 12 million square feet of office and other real estate. She was 
really awesome. Ex Cushman did tenor rep work, gets it. And in fasting enough, um, they it has a pretty interesting perspective of the platforms they use versus what Occupier does. So I thought that would be an interesting conversation for you. Love it. And other Love person it. is one of my PICs, so partners in crime, um, Louisa Dickens. Um, I don't know if you have had oh, her yeah, yet. I know Louisa. Yeah, she, yeah. she does the propcast. I don't know if you've done have her on yours, but I think you guys would be a good combo. Cool. Yeah, we should reach out uh, to both of them. Um, Awesome. Well, Xander, thanks for your time, man. This has been great. Um, if uh, anyone want to get in touch, learn more about you directly, how do they find you? So a couple great ways. You can email me at zgeronimos at metaprop.vc, or you can also reach me on LinkedIn. Um, and if you do on the, on the LinkedIn DMs, Graham, we get a lot because everybody wants VC investing. Can you, my only request is to be a little funny. I don't get enough. It's it's too formal. Slide a joke in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slide in with a joke. What you mean? Yeah. <laughs> don't use the in mail. Um, <laughs> please right, please cool. don't. Xander. I don't ever check that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. See ya.